Happy Friday and welcome to another episode of Life Up Here. We're going to talk about something that I know very little about. Is that okay? If I come to you knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified, <laughs> I just stole Paul's words. Um, it's really not that intense. But um, I, there's something that... that um, God had spoken on Wednesday night while we were worshiping that I, I want to unfold over the next several days, but I really feel like it's important that, that we begin the conversation, that we not, um, that we not forget what it is that, that he said. And it was simply this, that these are the days of deliverance day upon day, upon day, upon day of deliverance. And and for me, what that felt like and what I could see as he was saying that wasn't like individual deliverance where it was one-on-one kind of ministry come out in the name of Jesus kind of thing. That's that's not what this looked like. It looked more like the exodus from Egypt. And God was very specifically talking about leaving Egypt behind. And um, I talked about this a little bit yesterday on Invictus's broadcast, but I, I just felt like we needed to more closely examine what it is that actually took place during that time frame when Moses was pleading with um, Pharaoh, let my people go. And I think that it's really interesting that um, Moses first had to take ownership of God's people, right? He, he didn't go to Pharaoh saying, you know, release God's people. I know they're a mess. I don't really care for them all that much either. I've been so far removed from them that I'm no longer even <laughs> identifying as Israelite. It wasn't like that at all. He identified with them and, and he claimed them. They, they were his people. God had, had given him governance over them. And, and so he would go to Pharaoh asking that he let his people go. And, um, and so I think that that's really important for us to, um, to really keep our eye on is, um, are we taking ownership of the, the, the people in our pasture, so to speak? And, um, or are we like, um, grumbling and complaining about what they're not doing? guilty. Um, but I think that we, we've got to take ownership over the people that God is wanting to free. And, and, you know, here in, in North America, we can very plainly see that the errancy going on in, in our churches, anytime that you have an experience with the fear of the Lord, it becomes very clear. The, um, the, the contrast of, um, of, honoring who God is and, um, and recognizing his majesty versus just checking boxes. It, it becomes very clear and it becomes somewhat of an agitation. It, it becomes something that you want to overcome, but it's really important that we identify ourselves as the same, like those are our people. Those are the people that God is wanting us to take ownership over so that we can really begin to press in and contend for deliverance that we we brought out of the thing that has held us for so long now. And, and I'm not saying that we get it all wrong, but we certainly don't get it all right either. And um, you don't have to be 
uh, too informed to recognize our need for God's hand right now. Um, I want to quickly look at a spot in Jeremiah, and then I want us to jump over to Exodus and, and look at the leading up to God actually freeing Israel from Egypt. Hi, Jen. Good morning, Pepper. It's good to have you guys on. Um, so let's go to, to Jeremiah 23. I was reading this yesterday. Hi, John. Good morning. You're coming from Junction City, Kansas and not the main thing salon today. <laughs> um, I know you're already, I know you're there. Um, so in actually the whole chapter of 23 is like provoking, but um, I want to to jump to um, to verse nine. I'm probably going to skip around if that's okay. Um, verse nine, chapter 23, Jeremiah. My head is reeling. My limbs are limp. I'm staggering like a drunk seeing double from too much wine and all because of God, because of his holy words. Can we say that? Okay, like pause. Can we actually say that that's true of us? That when we gobble up or drink down, consume the words of the Lord, that we go, um, like our head is reeling, our limbs go limp, and we're staggering like a drunk, and we're seeing double because of God's words. See, this, if we if we can, we can use this as a little bit of a meter to, to better understand um, our regard for the Lord and his words. Okay. Like we're not doing very good, right? Like we, we love to hear his words because we want to be affirmed. We want to be encouraged. But the problem is, is that when we are not rightly regarding his words, his voice, um, we are, we're, we're not creating the action that, that he is after. And, um, and, and Jeremiah is saying like, Oh my gosh, I can hardly take another syllable from his holy mouth, right? Like, let's be those people who are like, put on notice when, when his words are, are coming to us. And especially if you're one who God has called to release his words, like we should be uh, we should be falling on our faces in these moments. And, and I'm not telling you to manufacture anything, but it should do something in us to be a vessel that that hosts his words and, and releases his words. Let's go on. Verse 10. Now for what God says regarding the lying prophets, and I am reading out of the message, so the language is a little bit crazy. Um, can you believe it? A country teeming with adulterers faithless, promiscuous, idolater, adulterers. Dang. I don't, it's, it's like a double whammy, right? They're a curse on the land. The land's a wasteland. Their unfaithfulness is turning the country into a cesspool. Prophets and priests devoted to desecration. They have nothing to do with me as their God. My very own temple, mind you, mud spattered, with their crimes, but they won't get by with it. They'll find themselves on a slippery slope, careening into the darkness, somersaulting into the pitch black dark. I'll make them pay for their crimes. It will be the year of doom. 
God's decree. I, I, I want to jump back up to where it's it's talking about these um, these prophets who aren't rightly regarded. And that's what he's saying here, you guys. We need to better understand that when he's talking about false prophets, he's talking about people who are actually called to be prophets, to be his mouthpiece. And, and what, what puts them into the false category is how they're mishandling his word, how they're preferring to, to cuddle and comfort the, the people rather than release his sharp words. And look what it does to the land. They're a curse on the land. They turn their, their words, their, the way that they taint God's words, turn the land into a wasteland. Huh. So if we're land prophets and we're standing on the land and we can see the demise, it happened because of those who haven't rightly regarded his holiness, his majesty, who haven't rightly uh, given credence to his words. We're softening. We're softening his words. We're not, we're not releasing it as pointed as he wants. I, I don't want that for us, you know? Okay. Verse 13, over in Samaria, I saw prophets acting like silly fools. Shocking. They preached using that no God bail for a text, messing with the minds of my people. I hope you're picking up on all these clues because whether you're called to sit in the office of a prophet or you're one who prophesies, which we are all called to do, we, we are being held accountable to these things. So, you know, are, are you, are you preaching to, to give credence to the no God bail? Right. And, and in so doing, are you messing with the minds of God's people? When we do not release his words as intended, we are, we are helping the fallenness of the mental capacity of the people including yourself. Like when you are, when you are taking in the words that, that God is speaking, whether it's what your one-on-one intimate times with Jesus and you are funneling them through um, something that, that softens it um, or, you know, you're perceiving it out of context. Um, you're, you're contributing to the fallenness of, of your mind, of your mental capacity. And we need sharp minds. We need the mind of Christ. And what forms the mind of Christ in us is by hearing his word rightly. Okay. Are we all good? I hope so. Um, and the, and the Jerusalem prophets are even worse Horrible, sex-driven, living a lie, subsidizing a culture of wickedness and never giving it a second thought. They're as bad as those wretches in old Sodom, the degenerates of old Gomorrah. So here's the message to the prophets from God of the angel armies. I'll cook them a supper of maggoty meat with after-dinner drinks of strychnine. The Jerusalem prophets are behind all this. They're the cause of the godlessness polluting this country. Ouch. Ouch. I know none of you are in Jerusalem, but pay attention. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want this for us. If, if there is, here's the deal. Like if we can, if we can recognize the mess going on around us, you're it, you know? 
Like you're the one that is responsible to do something about it. You're the one that needs to rush the throne and ask for the solutions. We, we have got to, you guys, this is what we do. We recognize the problem and we sit in our knowing it all. We do. We sit in this realm of knowing it all and we never get beyond our, our own knowledge. And most of the time, that knowledge holds everybody hostage. We've got to move beyond that and get into the counsel of the Lord. Okay. Where was I? Okay. Verse 18, a message from God of the angel armies. Don't listen to the sermons of the prophets. It's all hot air. Lies, lies, and more lies. They make it all up. Not a word they speak comes from me. They preach their everything will turn out fine sermon. Dang it. They preach their everything will turn out fine sermon to congregations who have no taste for God. That's where I want to stop. I don't want to read the rest of it. Go read it yourself, Jeremiah 23. Go read it for yourself. They're preaching to congregations who have no taste for God. We need to do like some serious examination here and be asking Holy Spirit, where in me do I not have a taste for his holiness? Do I not have a taste for the fear of the Lord? Do I not have a taste for his majesty? If we're going to partner with these days of deliverance that God is talking about, we have to have a taste for God or we will fall for anything. We will. We'll be those who listen to every other voice. We'll be those who are pining for comfort instead of the fierceness of the Lord. And he's been really clear. He has. He's been very clear that he's not playing around. He's not messing around in this season. We know that he has, we have all seen him stand. And I don't know about you, but when God stands, I'm like, right? Like, does it, does it do something in you? Does it change your posture to see the Lord stand? It does me. It's kind of like, Mufasa. okay, I really dumbed that down. <laughs> it's fine. Um, okay, so we're going to hop over to, to Exodus because I think that it, it, we would be amiss to not look at this and see what was taking place. So, so Moses shows up on the scene after being gone for lots and lots of years. And, um, and, and he's, he's been sent by God. Now, listen, we need to understand that Moses could have done this in his own his own way, in his own flesh, in his own mind, and he could have softened everything, right? Moses is someone who's been raised up in the house of Pharaoh, and and he has he's had his own exodus, if you will. He he escaped Egypt and has been hiding out in the wilderness tending sheep. You know, this is he, he's turned himself into a shepherd. God 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 created him to be a deliverer. And, and he's, he's traded that up for, um, being a shepherd. You can be a shepherd, but don't forsake the deliverer, right? Like understand the call. You can be the shepherd, but that means 
that that you're you have you have to find the deeper intention. Like Moses could be a shepherd, that's fine, but he still needs to wear the deliverer. And and here's the interesting piece is like Moses's life starts off by being delivered, right? His sister Miriam steps into his own call. I love this. Miriam steps into Moses's call, into into his very purpose and creates an experience of deliverance over him when he is we like he is little very very young baby and she sends him down the river in a basket right so his sister puts on display Moses this is who you are this is what you will live out right oh my gosh look around you who is putting your call on display for you, right? This is something I'm super passionate about right now, especially because, um, well, I don't need to get into that. But like when God sends people into your life on assignment, you are also on assignment. Moses, even as a baby, as an infant, I don't remember how old he was. I, I want to say two, but I can't say that for sure. And I don't have time to go back and track it. He's a baby right? He's not really capable of doing much for himself, but Miriam is sent to Moses on assignment and immediately Moses is on assignment also, right? So when God sends people to you on assignment, you need to put those garments on yourself, right? You need to become that assignment yourself to work within the assignment with what it is that the Lord is wanting to accomplish, I think about this. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a very, um, a, a simple uh, reference for you to, to look at. Um, Pepper is very much a part of our congregation, but she lives an hour away. She doesn't always make it here for everything that we're doing. We so wish she could, but we understand the distance and she can't be here for everything, but God has put her on assignment to be here every Wednesday night to lead us in Warrior Worship Wednesday. I am getting so much better at this. And she comes every Wednesday night and she leads us all in this rambunctious, crazy, wild worship session. And I will miss it. I will completely miss what God is doing if I do not put myself on notice every single Wednesday and recognize the assignment that God has placed on her life is now the assignment that I need to interact with, right? Are we all shaking our heads? Yes, I certainly hope so. I wish I could see you. I like an audience, not for my own good, but I just like to see the way you're responding to what it is that the Lord is doing. Anyway, so we know that that Moses is sent to, to release Israel from Egypt's grip and, um, and, and, you know, long negotiations. And finally God is like, you know what, here's what we're going to do. And these were the days of deliverance. We like to look at the fun parts, right? Where they're, they, they're, you know, walking through the parted waters and the celebration begins but what we really need to understand is that these were the days of deliverance. We, we don't like these things at all. 
Um, who would, right? But we do need to, we need to recognize God's hand in it. And, and really like, you need to like create some focus in your vision, right? Adjust, adjust your focus and start to see like, okay, if he's saying that we are in the days of deliverance, then, then I need to partner here and I need to adjust my focus and I need to see what is going on around me where I can recognize his hand. Okay. So, and I love the way that the message translation lays this out. Um, and we're in, we're in chapter seven of Exodus, in case you were curious. Um, it says strike one, right? Strike one blood. And we know that, um, that, that God led Moses to turn the Nile into blood. <laughs> I don't know about you, but this would creep me out a little bit, right? Like this, this is a large body of water and, and what was just water is now blood. And if I know God, I, I, I have to agree that it's not just a little, a little portion of the Nile that was, you know, swirling blood. This, this would have been the entirety of the Nile is turned to blood. Uh, I mean, like, seriously, like I can feel the warmth coming off of, it's really gross. But that's what it would have been. And this was God's intention. This was strike one, right? Like this was step one of the days of deliverance, or you could see it as day one of the days of deliverance. Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. He's, he's still, nope, not going to do it. And you've got to remember that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so it, it's actually, um, it's God's plan that all of these things happen, that these days of deliverance actually play out as he intends. Do I understand it all? Nope. Do I need to? Nope. Um, and now we're over in, in chapter eight, strike two, frogs. Frogs. We watched, um, we were in, in Kansas City at our daughter's house a couple of, well, over Mother's Day weekend, and um, and it started raining really hard, and they have a pond in their apartment complex, and, um, and, and as it was raining, it was bizarre because all of a sudden, all of these frogs start hopping out of the pond over the rocks onto the sidewalks like they're trying to, to, to get somewhere out of the rain, I guess. And um, we were all so fascinated by it. And I, if it had been, you know, like frogs everywhere and you can't really see the ground, that's creepy, Right. <laughs> that's that's really creepy and um and and these these frogs really did come up out of the depths of the water and just started like uh gross and frogs are loud so this wouldn't have been a quiet thing there so so now we've got a, a, a bloody nile we've got we've got frogs everywhere and i the, the noise on this i can't i really that's loud it's loud like all you can't even escape it now because there's frogs everywhere strike three gnats yep 
and you know what's really interesting is um, Moses comes with a staff, and and God instructs him to use this this staff, and and then um, and then Aaron ends up with one also, and and it's Aaron who who sets his staff down into the water, and it releases the frogs, and then he sets his staff down into the dust, and it releases these gnats, and um, you know w- these are the things that we don't want to look at and be like, yeah, that's a miracle because it's gross to us, but that is, that's a miracle, like to just set a staff down in dirt and all of a sudden gnats just start forming everywhere. That's crazy. And strike four flies, flies. So now we have a a, a bloody Nile. We have frogs everywhere, gnats flying. I mean, like seriously, at this point there, there isn't any space that is free from, from what is happening. And and now, and now we have thick swarms of flies, it says. Um, And then in um, chapter nine, strike five is animals. So then all of um, the the livestock start to crash and burn and, um, and how sad, I mean, like uh, they, they, they can't withstand, honestly, you know, if the, the, the Nile was their source of water. And so you can see how this became, you know, the byproduct of everything else that was going on is, um, and, and I mean, like, have you ever seen a horse that is just surrounded by flies and their tail is just trying to sweep them away and, and their skin is twitching to get them off. <laughs> and we're talking about swarms of flies and gnats and frogs everywhere. And there's probably little clean water for them to drink. So they all just start dying off. Strike six is boils. So now everyone is covered in, in boils. And um, one boil is is bad enough, but they're covered in in boils. Strike seven, hail. Remember, I just want to remind you, we're still in the days of deliverance. This is all God's doing, right? God, God is doing this. This is part of his deliverance plan. Strike seven, hail. Anybody ever been in a hailstorm? This is what it says. This time I'm going to strike you and your servants and your people with the full force of my power. So you'll get into your head that there's no one like me anywhere in all the earth. Listen, if you're going to fall into the hands of anything, fall into the hands of the Lord. He is he's not playing around. This is, this is, this is significant hail. We're not talking about the pea size hail that hits around here on a regular basis in the spring and the summer. This is intense hail. This is destroying things. Okay. Like if there was any livestock left at this point, mm, they're probably not going to make it much longer. And so all of their structures now are being threatened and trees are falling over. Like this is a legit hail storm. Strike eight locusts. This is where I'm checking out because I hate locusts. (laughs) They're disgusting and I don't want anything to do with them. So now the locusts are, are hanging out and, and, and just like, let's go back over the list. We've got a bloody Nile. We've got frogs everywhere. We've got gnats 
flies, animals are dying, the people are covered in boils, hail has hit, and now we have locusts, and locusts do a whole lot of damage to vegetation. Strike nine is darkness. Yep. It says, God said to Moses, stretch your hand to the skies. Let darkness descend on the land of Egypt, a darkness so dark you can touch it. Now, it never says that any one of these strikes goes away before the next one hits. So you've got all of this going on, and this is sheer chaos. And now it is so dark that you can touch the darkness. It, you guys, this is intense. This is intense. God is being intense on purpose because these are the days of deliverance, right? Finally, strike 10 is death. And you got to understand that even though maybe these things didn't go away day to day to day, every single day, Moses went and said, let my people go. Right. He, he returned to Pharaoh and said, you know, here's another opportunity. Here's another opportunity. And um, so we know that strike 10 is death. And, and this is where we are first introduced to Passover and, um, and the, what, what the power in the blood can do. And, um, he instructs Israel to sacrifice the uh, firstborn sheep and to take its blood and put it around the threshold of their homes. And because the angel of death is going to sweep through Egypt and, um, and kill all the firstborn sons. But as long as they had the blood of the lamb on their thresholds, oh my gosh, that's just, that's beautiful. Um, then, then they were safe. And, um, and I wonder, I do wonder like if, if it was possible for even like the Egyptians to participate in that, if they had yielded at that point, I mean, it, it feels like because I know the mercy and I know the grace of God, that that would have been a possibility. I don't know. We're not really told, but um, we do know that um, Pharaoh would have lost his, his firstborn son that night. And, and that sunk him, that sunk him to see, you know, probably his, his son covered in boils and fiercely affected by everything that's going on. And now he's breathed his last. Hi, Lisa. You made it. <laughs> you you made it fast, actually. <laughs> she just got off work and she's here. Um, and so it was at, at midnight that, that God struck every firstborn. And um, once again, um, Moses goes and, and, and we know how the story goes, you know, he, he goes and he's like, let my people go. But first let's go to 13. It says, God spoke to Moses saying, consecrate every firstborn to me, the first one to come from the womb among the Israelites, whether person or animal is mine. Moses said to the people, always remember this day. This is the day when you came out of Egypt from a house of slavery God brought you out of here with a powerful hand. And then he instructs them not to eat any raised bread for seven days. And then jump down to verse eight and says, tell your children on that day, this 
is because of what God did for me when I came out of Egypt. So they were instructed on the backside of these seven days to have this great celebration. And, and, you know, they were only allowed to, to eat bread that wasn't raised or unleavened bread. And, um, and then they were to celebrate on that last day and they were to instruct their children that this is because of what the Lord has done. And, um, Let's let's jump over to to 14 <clears throat> because they're well on their way at this point. And and God gives them instructions on on how to leave. And and we know that um, there's a great plundering that's taken place, which is so fun. I love that idea. And and I'm afraid that if we don't take on the mind of Christ, that we will disagree with God in this in the plundering by, by living in our comfortable false humility and being like, Oh, I've got more than enough. Now listen, like God doesn't want the enemy to have anything. So if he's instructing you to plunder, plunder, right? Take everything that, that he's offering to you because it belongs to him. It belongs to him. And if you are in his house, you get to take part in that. Let's jump down to 14 and, um, We'll start in verse one. God spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn around and make camp at Pi-Haharoth between Migdal and the sea. Camp on the shore of the sea opposite baal Zephon. These words, these names, my gosh. And Pharaoh will think the Israelites are lost. They're confused. The wilderness is closed in on them. Then I'll make Pharaoh's heart stubborn again and he'll chase after them. And I'll use Pharaoh and his army to put my glory on display. Then the Egyptians will realize that I am God. And this is what happened. This is a setup. This is a setup. God could have had them continue on through the wilderness. He could have done everything that he wanted to do anyway. But this is a final setup. This is remarkable to me because God will not stop short. He will have all of his enemies consumed. Are you in agreement with that? Can you recognize the enemy of the Lord? Or are you somebody who is empathizing with the enemy of the Lord? You guys, we have been sympathizers with, with God's enemies. And we've got to knock that off. We have to recognize who God's enemies are. And this again, I'm gonna, uh, you know this, but we're not fighting against flesh and blood, all that. That's not what I'm saying. Hear me. We can no longer be sympathizers with the enemies of God. And he sets up Israel's enemy by telling them, stop at the bank and watch what I'll do. And so he hardens Pharaoh's heart again so that he would come and pursue Israel one last time. This, this is, I know how we've seen this. I know how we've seen this encounter. We see it as like, oh, they're, they're scrambling. Like, oh, God is scrambling. Moses, quick, pull out your staff and stab it into the ground so that the waters part. God's never scrambling. He's always ahead of the enemy. And he is drawing the enemy and he has baited the enemy. I just want to know, like, are we willing to go that far in our, in our obedience? That that when we're, we're wanting to run 
from our enemies when when we're looking for escape rather than an exodus know the difference <laughs> are we willing to follow his orders and stop short just so he can lure the enemy in and be done with him once and for all so it actually says that all through the night so they're camping right they're camping on the the shoreline and all through the night an east wind i think it was an east wind is blowing the waters backwards right he takes the entire night to do this and and could he have done it in a moment absolutely but you've got to remember that he's luring an enemy and so it's just you know he's just taking his time moving these waters backwards so that Israel can make it through. And they're walking through on dry ground. Pepper said it best the other night. This wasn't muddy ground. They weren't contending with mud. This is dry ground that they're going through. Um, and so this is this is what, well, let's just keep reading. And verse five, when the king of Egypt was told that the people were gone, he and his servant changed their minds. They said, what have we done letting Israel, our slave labor, go free? This is also really important. We see this, right? Like Egypt is, is viewing them as in slavery, which is outside of our identity in Christ. So this is another reason why we can't be sympathizing with the enemy because the enemy will always have a, um, <clears throat> a, a, false identity for you to wear. So um, they are viewing Israel as their slave labor. Um, what have we done? Letting Israel, our slave labor, go free. So he had his chariots harnessed up and got his army together. He took 600 of his best chariots with the rest of the Egyptian chariots and their drivers coming along. Good call, Pharaoh. God made Pharaoh king of Egypt stubborn, determined to chase the Israelites as they walked out on him without even looking back. The Egyptians gave chase and caught up with them where they had made camp by the sea. All Pharaoh's horse-drawn chariots and their riders, all his foot soldiers were at Pi Hawaha, opposite of Baal Zephon. <laughs> I should really... I should really read these words well first. It's always different when you're reading in your head. Um, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw them, Egyptians coming at them just when they thought they were free, right? Be careful what you're thinking. They were totally afraid. They cried out in terror to God. They told Moses, weren't the cemeteries large enough in Egypt so that you had to take us out here in the wilderness to die? Ooh, this is the, the first indication of, of Israel's willingness to grumble against God, right? What have you done to us taking us out of Egypt? Back in Egypt, didn't we tell you this would happen? Didn't we tell you, leave us alone here in Egypt? We're better off as slaves in Egypt than as corpses in the wilderness. I'm not entirely sure that's true. Moses spoke to the people. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and watch God do his work of salvation for you today. Take a good look at the Egyptians today for you're never going to see them again. God will fight the battle for you. And you, you just keep your mouth shut. What a word. Jesus. 
God will fight your battles for you, but you just keep your mouth shut. Guys, our mouths get us into trouble all the time. Our mouths actually draw attack to us because we're frivolous with our words. Life and death, life and death, life and death. Who are you agreeing with in your words? That's really important. God said to Moses, why cry out to me? Speak to the Israelites, order them to get moving. Hold your staff high and stretch your hand out over the sea and split it. The Israelites will walk through the sea on dry ground. And so we know what happens. This is so victorious, so absolutely beautiful. They walk through on dry ground and then Pharaoh and his army, all of them, pursue them, find themselves in the middle of the split sea. And suddenly it all just crashes in and... (laughs) Pepper and Robin broke out in song on Wednesday night and they started singing the horse and rider thrown into the sea song. And, um, and it was victorious, like sing yourself a victorious song. Like the horse and rider has been thrown into the sea. The enemy has been defeated. The only areas that, um, that have been, um, usurped is what we have allowed, right? If the enemy has any, any ground or access, it's because we've given it up, right? That's, that's just what's true because Jesus already overcame. He's already victorious. And and so are we, it's just what ground have we given up? And then I want to read um, chapter 15 because it's so good. This is, this is what happens when they're on the, the backside of the sea and they, they have been saved and also on the backside of their grumbling. Okay. This is a fickle people. Don't be a fickle people. They, they, in one breath are like, so angry. Look what you've done. Right. Like we were better off as slaves, at least there, you know, we were alive. And, and then on the, the backside of this, It's um, chapter 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to God, giving voice together. I'm singing my heart out to God. What a victory. He pitched horse and rider into the sea. God is my strength. God is my song. And yes, God is my salvation. This is the kind of God I have. And I'm telling the world, this is the God of my father. I'm spreading the news far and wide. God is a fighter, pure God, through and through. Pharaoh's chariots and army he dumped in the sea. The elite of his officers he drowned in the Red Sea. Wild ocean waters poured over them. They sank like a rock in the deep blue sea. You, Your strong right hand, God, shimmers with power. Your strong right hand shatters the enemy. In your mighty majesty, you smash your upstart enemies. You let loose your hot anger and burn them to a crisp. At a blast from your nostrils, the waters piled up, tumbling streams dammed up, wild oceans curdled into a swamp. The enemy spoke, I'll pursue, I'll hunt them down. I'll divide up the plunder. I'll, I'll glut myself on them. I'll pull out my sword, my first will, my fist, sorry, 
I'm having trouble reading. My fist will send them reeling. You blew with all your might and the sea covered them. They sank like a lead weight in the majestic waters. Who compares with you among gods, O God? Who compares with you in power, in holy majesty, in awesome praises, wonder-working God? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them up. But the people you redeemed, you led in merciful love. You guided them under your protection to your holy pasture. When people heard, they were scared. Philistines writhed and trembled. Yes, even the headmen in Edom were, uh, were shaken. And the big bosses in Moab, everybody in Canaan panicked and fell faint. Dread and terror sent them reeling. Before your brandished right arm, they were struck dumb like a stone until your people crossed over and entered. Oh God, until the people you made crossed over and entered. You brought them and planted them on the mountain of your heritage, the place where you live, the place you made, your sanctuary, master that you established with your own hands. Let God rule forever for eternity. Yes, Pharaoh's horses and chariots and riders went into the sea and God turned the waters back on them. But the Israelites walked on dry land right through the middle of the sea. And then after that, Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine and all the women followed her with tambourines dancing. Miriam led them in singing. Sing to God. What a victory. He pitched horse and rider into the sea. That's a glorious picture. And I think that what we forget is this is an entire nation. It's an entire nation that God has just rescued. An entire nation. Like, well, I want us to understand the context of this. It's an entire nation that God just rescued. An entire nation, people. So if your nation is in jeopardy, What is it that God wants to do? What is it that God wants to do? What is he calling you to do? How are you to partner, to put on the the robes of deliverer, to see your nation delivered? These are the days of deliverance. And what is it that God wants to do through you to make that happen? I understand. I understand where we're at. I understand the the news going on in in various nations in the world. I I understand. I understand that it's it's looking bleak. It's looking dark. But it did in, in Egypt also. So dark. And covered in things, creatures. It's not going to get any darker than that. And if you think that there wasn't war-like things happening in Egypt during this time, you're not seeing it right. This this land is, is not in harmony. They weren't just, you know, civil enemies. It wasn't like that. So wherever you're at in the world, just know that God's got a plan to use you as a deliverer. What's he asking you to do? Do your part. And I don't, I don't think that it's going to be, you know, someone that God's God, one single individual that God raised up in the wilderness. 
that's going to deliver your nation. He's raising up an army of deliverers, right? Like that's what he's doing. Do your part. And and here's the, the thing that I, I want to leave us with somewhat of a warning because we know how fickle Israel was. I mean, it, it took very little time before they started grumbling. Their minds weren't right. So if you feel like God's got you in a vice grip right now, so be it. Allow him to do what he needs to do to transform your mind to be able to withstand the days of deliverance. Because I'm afraid that if we do so in our current condition, we're going to make it to the to the shoreline. And we're going to turn our backs on God. And we're going to ask to be overtaken by the enemy. Thank God for a voice like Moses, right? It was like, shut up. Right? Sometimes that's the most prophetic thing that we can say. Shut up. Stop your grumbling. And here's the other thing that I want to say. You do not want to get on the the other side of these days of deliverance with anything holding you back. It's time that you allow God to do the deliverance that he wants to do in you personally. There are things that need to be rooted out. You cannot continue to live life the way that you have and still be an assistance to what it is that God is doing. It won't work. You're in compromise. And we can't be in compromise and also be deliverers. Let him cleanse your house. Give up the things that are hurting you and all the people around you. And if you've bought into your compromise, not hurting other people, take the blinders off because your compromise is hurting everybody all around you. Let God do the deep work he's wanting to do. We've said it before and I'll just repeat it. He's cleaning out every corner and crevice of the soul right now. Allow him to do that. And really a a simplistic way to partner with that is to allow him to fill you with praise. Seriously, allow him to fill you with praise. There's nothing that will more quickly drown out compromise than authentic praise. Don't fill the air with your know-it-allness. Fill it with authentic praise. It's what brings change and transformation. You want your mind transformed? Start singing scripture. Start releasing scripture. Whatever it is that you do to release praise, dance scripture. This is how we're going to get on the right page with God, right? I will be a vessel and I will I will make it look any way that you want. Fools for Christ, right? That's what we need to be and recognize the days of deliverance when they're upon you. Because like we've just read, it's not all going to look like glory and sunshine. And I love the manifestation of glory just like anybody else. But we need to recognize that sometimes the glory of the Lord looks different than at other times. It's not just having sparkles on your hands. What is he, what is he wanting to do all around you? 
just recognize his hand. Become attuned to the Lord. I'm going to pray for us. Oh, Jesus, right now we just yield. Just yield yourself to him. Everything. Yield everything to him. Your unanswered questions, the painful parts of your life. Hmm. I see wounded hearts. Really, really deep wounded hearts. And I just know that right now that if you'll yield that part of yourself to God and trust him with it, that he will bring the healing and the deliverance necessary for you to be upright again. Just yield that part of yourself to him and invite him in. Allow him to look closer and just watch what he'll do. He's coming in with his healing balm. He's not afraid of your wounds. But he needs you upright. So disagree with his desire to heal you from the inside out. So Father, as we're yielding to you, we're yielding every part of ourselves, the things, especially the parts where we feel like we know it all. God, we yield that to you. We speak to that thing and we tell it to lay low because we are moving on toward the counsel of the Lord. We are those who will sit in the counsel of the Lord because we will know the very heart and the mind of he who we serve. And right now, like, I just feel like we need to confess that we want to be a part of the days of, de- of deliverance. So just put that in the comments if that's you. And like, really, like, really examine yourself. Like, if that's you and, and you really are feeling something on this for yourself, just put it in the comments. Like, let's agree together that we want to be a part of the days of deliverance. I do. Jesus, I want to be a part of the days of deliverance. I want to be a part. I want to be on your side. I want to be on your side, Jesus. I want to have your vision. I want to be able to see and spy out what it is that you're doing. And I want to partner with that. And right now, I want you to just confess. I want you to to stare down the enemy and say these words. I will no longer be a sympathizer with you. You just need to do it. Like enemy, I will no longer be a sympathizer with any of your works. I'm not one who's going to comfort. I'm going to be one who strikes. I want us all to be a part of the days of deliverance. I want us to be on God's side and God's army doing the things that he's asking for. So Father, over these next couple of days, I just thank you that vision is going to hit these people that they will see themselves suited up and ready. And they will be people who recognize assignment when it comes at them. And they will put that on and they will become that assignment also because we are those who partner with the Lord. We are with your army, God. We are with you.
Amen. All right. Have a blessed weekend and we'll see you soon.